Hi, I'm Casey Hobbs. And I'm Shane Mason. And we're the hosts of Nurse Talk Radio. Please join us for this special edition podcast. Hi, I'm Mallory Smith, and I have cystic fibrosis. I feel like people with CF are privy to secrets it takes most other people a lifetime to understand. How lucky we are to be alive. How we should be appreciative of anything that's in our control. That we can leave behind a legacy when we go that will impact others. Salt in My Soul, An Unfinished Life by Mallory Smith is about our broken healthcare system, the power of medicine, remarkable doctors, and one woman's quest to live happy in the face of overwhelming obstacles. Mallory passed away two years ago at the age of 25, two months after receiving a double lung transplant. But she left behind a legacy that's unprecedented. For her powerful memoir published posthumously this month and for her place in history as the catalyst for reigniting interest in phage therapy. Mallory understood that she understood something important, that there's a need for balance with pain meds during the opioid crisis between over and under medicating, that insurance obstacles and access to health care remain elusive for so many that it's often difficult to know when to disclose an invisible illness. Mallory's mother, Diane Shader-Smith, is with us today to share her daughter's story and legacy and how she helped cull 2,500 pages of Mallory's writing to publish Salt in My Soul. Diane, welcome to Nurse Talk, and thank you so much for being with us today. Thank you for having me. So, Diane, your daughter's story is quite remarkable, and although her life was short, it was a life of meaning and accomplishment while living with cystic fibrosis. So tell us a little bit about your daughter, Mallory. Well, she understood from a very early age that she was battling a very serious condition, and she had a very mature and intuitive way of understanding that if she wanted to be able to leave a legacy, that she would have to work very hard. And she worked hard at her treatment to stay healthy. She worked hard at sports, and she was very, very disciplined about her writing and wrote 2,500 pages, but didn't want to share that when she was alive because much of it was too painful or too embarrassing. Did you know she was writing, Diane? Well, I knew she was keeping a journal, and I kept trying to find my way into it, but it was password (laughs) protected and somewhere deeply embedded. So I didn't ever get to read it until she gave me her password at the very end of her life. And I was shocked by how profound her insights were, by how articulate she was able to be, chronicling what it was she went through, understanding the nuances of the disease process and the actual obstacles that she was facing and how relevant they would be to other people. So true. The book addresses many issues of the chronically ill. Their caregivers deal with such as fear, depression, anxiety in the settings of ongoing illness. So can you touch a little bit on that? Yes. Well, the interesting thing and the big surprise to me wasn't that she wrote so much, but it was that she used her journal to write about her fear, depression, and anxiety. And she chose on the surface and with other people to live happy and always had a smile on her face and was able to enjoy much of life despite all of these overwhelming obstacles. And yet she did suffer tremendously emotionally. And at some point, I think it was her sophomore year in high school when things looked very bleak, she chose to ask for help. And that's when we came to understand that she had, I think they call it um, acute depression triggered by the horrific health circumstances she was dealing with at the time, which was 
a combination of hemoptysis, where you cough up a lot of blood, and pulmonary embolism. So mm. on one hand, you need blood thinners, but on the other hand, the blood thinners make, make the condition of hemoptysis right. much worse. Yes. Wow. Rock and a hard place, as so much of her life was the rock and the hard place. Yeah. Diane, share your relationship with Mallory. Well, I made the decision early on that I was going to devote my life to taking care of Mallory and giving her the best possible life because I had had such a happy childhood and such a great life before children that I wanted her to experience that same sense of joy. And the way I chose to do it was to become such an ever-present part of her life by cooking for her friends and doing all of her cleaning and sterilizing and of her nebulizers and ordering her meds for her when possible so that she would have more hours in the day to be a kid. And by doing so, her friends came to treat me as if I was part of the furniture and everybody shared everything in front of me. And it was such a gift to be able to share Mallory's life with her in that intimate way that most people don't get to when their girls are in high school and college. Yeah, that was a, a, a huge gift just to, to be there and be a window into everything that was occurring for her. Part of how I'm able to do what I'm doing now, because I really did know what it was she was dealing with and what she went through. It enables me to speak about her with authenticity and, you know, it's, it's, I, I, I'm not guessing. I know. Absolutely. <laughs> yes. So a couple of other key issues in the book address the need to balance pain management during the opioid epidemic. Can you say a little about that? Yes. Very specifically, she writes about feeling victimized by the opioid epidemic because in the doctor's earnestness and their well-meaning efforts to keep her from becoming addicted at a time that we know that so many kids are addicted, they undertreated her on several different occasions. And it took days of screaming and a lot of yelling and a lot of suffering before they came to understand that they were erring on the side of caution rather than looking at her case and who she was and what she needed. So there's a very real opioid epidemic and people keep dying. And in fact, the irony of all this is that many of the donors who provide the lungs for the kids with CF, are, they come from opioid overdose. But the reason why she wanted to be part of an industry-wide conversation addressing this need for balance was because at a different point, she writes about her own fears of getting addicted because she said, with morphine and oxy, there is no pain and there is no sadness. That's a quote from her journal that she understood that there was a very fine line between over and under medicating and that we haven't gotten the balance right yet. It wasn't that they treated her and over time she asked for more medicines. What would happen is, for example, and it was different hospitals and different pain management teams. So it was not just an isolated incident with one particular team. And so what would happen is, for example, the most severe example was she had her chest cut open, her old lungs ripped out, and her new lungs sewn in. So imagine the pain mm, from that. Yes. And they, they grossly undertreated her because they were afraid that she would get addicted. It wasn't even like she was taking pain meds and was asking for an increase. She was just asking to get her pain managed. And the problem is you can't really heal when you're in so much pain that you can't do the required walking or rehab or whatever it is that's needed. And it took a lot of screaming and yelling and crying before people came to understand. And quite frankly, it was her cystic fibrosis team doctors who ultimately were able to jump into the picture and be the liaison between the pain management team and Mallory to get them to understand exactly the point that you were just making. One of the things we're doing with the book tour is talking about these issues. And it's 
inevitable that in every group that I speak to, somebody has a story that is similar. And we're hoping that enough conversation will raise awareness and help spark some sort of change. Excellent. That's Thank really you. great. Diane, talk about life-saving phage therapy and how it holds great promise for those living with cystic fibrosis. Well, specifically, Mark, my husband, asked to get phage therapy that he had been researching several years back when Mallory was still okay because we knew that the cepacia was going to become resistant and the antibiotics would stop working. But at the time he asked, nobody had heard about it, nobody was funding it, nobody was doing it, and it was very frustrating to him, but once she was approved for transplant, he thought, okay, she's going to get the transplant and I'll let it go. But then when three weeks before the end, after she had seemingly done so well, she was readmitted and they started telling me she wasn't going to make it. And at that point, Mark went into a full court press and he contacted a woman named Stephanie Strathy, who we call the phage wrangler, who was put out a tweet and people across the country that were doing phage work in labs, but, you know, in toiling away in obscurity, came together and ultimately the Navy provided a cocktail that we were able to give to Mallory, but it came 12 hours before she actually passed away. And at that point, the doctors explained that she was too brain dead to survive and she didn't make it. But on autopsy, it was revealed that the phage therapy actually did what it was supposed to do. And had she not been brain dead by that point, she could have survived. And since that time, we've spoken out, and there's a big article in Time Magazine last year and Stat News, which covers medical issues, wrote about it, and people have been asking. And Mark, Mark's perspective was that they're starting to do phage therapy for people in the mainstream population that travel or end up in the hospital and pick up a superbug, but his very, very focused perspective was that kids with cystic fibrosis should get treated with phage therapy before their lungs are destroyed so they don't need the transplant, which is fraught with problems because of immunosuppression issues. And so Mark arranged for the two of us to speak to the Cystic Fibrosis Foundation and explain to them what had happened, introduce them to Stephanie Strathy and the team in San Diego. The FDA has since approved clinical trials, the first clinical trials for phage therapy, and now two or three people have been treated with cystic fibrosis that were denied eligibility for transplant because of their superbugs, and now the phage has worked. And it's very, very heartbreaking to me that we were not able to get it in time for Mallory. But Mark feels we couldn't save our daughter, but we can save others. And that's what he's determined to do. As I'm working on the book and raising the other issues, he's full steam ahead on phage therapy. So is there anything else that you'd like to share with our listeners, Diane? Oh, I could go on and on and on. So you're going to have to tell me when to stop talking. I mean, we'll have you back every week. Well, the whole issue of invisible illness and not knowing when to disclose and the ramifications from disclosure and people not understanding what it is you're going through because Mallory always looked healthy, which is not always the case for CF patients. What I'm finding is that the invisible illness piece is resonating way beyond CF and transplant because it affects those with mental illness, GI problems, hearing loss, all kinds of issues. And so she writes a lot about that, and it's a subject I think needs to be talked about more. I want to thank you for our time. We definitely want to have you back on because there are so many issues that you touch on that are very important. Where can people find the book? Salt in My Soul, An Unfinished Life, and it's available on Amazon. It's in bookstores. And we have a website, saltinmysoulbook.com, which if you come to, you can see the trailer. You can see pictures of Mallory. 
you can order the book. It links you to Amazon and a couple of other places. And it also has a place to reach out and email me, which I like to hear from people if anybody's interested. That's excellent. And I love the title, Salt in My Soul and Unfinished Life. That's, that's a beautiful well, title. And I have to give credit. My sister's the one who came up with that. Yeah, it, well, she deserves credit for that. <laughs> yeah, it, 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 it's very well done. It, it speaks a lot about what occurred in her life. So thank you so much Thanks. for being with us. We appreciate it. Thank you. I appreciate it. Thank you, Diane. For more information about this topic, visit nursetalksite.com. Mm-hmm.